Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 392. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Monsters on this week's show. But first, a hundred-word story. Just in time for the holiday season. Our Drabble story this week comes from Drabblecast 4 member Is Full of Crap and it's called Tinsel. Here goes. Tinsel was an elf. He made toys at the North Pole. Elves are supposed to be happy all of the time. Tinsel wasn't. He didn't like making toys. He wanted to be an architect. There's a lot you can do with snow and ice, he said, pulling out some blueprints. Santa signed the order to have Tinsel sent to the re-education center. Two months later, Tinsel came back. He was always smiling, but he didn't talk or laugh. He just worked harder than anyone. His green felt cap covered the surgery scars. Everybody makes a show of being happy now. And that leads us to this week's story, Single Parent, by Sarah Gailey. Sarah's a Bay Area native and unabashed bibliophile, living and working in L.A. She enjoys painting, baking, vulgar embroidery, and writing stories about murder and monsters. Her fiction has appeared in Cease, Cow's Magazine, and this story first appeared in Cast of Wonders. She tweets at Gailey Frey. Our story this week was produced by Drabblecast producer Adam Pratt and read to you by Trendane Sparks. Trend's a professional voice actor in Northern California. His voice can be heard in just about anything from video games to audiobooks to commercials. So without further ado, we bring you Single Parent by Sarah Gailey. Single Parent by Sarah Gailey 
The monster in my son's closet is so fucking scary. Here's what happened. Jack screamed in the middle of the night and I came running because I'm his dad and that's what dads are for. He's been doing that for a month, screaming like someone's in his room murdering him with a screwdriver. And even though there's never, not even once, been anyone murdering him, I couldn't just let him scream his little head off all night. If I didn't come running, his mom would have risen from the grave just to come and slap me upside the head. I know what you're thinking, but the monster in his closet is not his mom. It's not my dead wife come back to watch over him and protect him. This isn't that kind of story. It's a fucking monster, okay? Anyway, he screamed like he screamed every night since we watched Denise go into the ground. I came running like I came running every night since we threw dirt at her coffin, which seems like it's supposed to be important and respectful, but really just felt like throwing dirt at my wife's corpse. He was sitting up in bed, sweating and crying and smelling like little kid piss, and I remember thinking that this was the last straw, that tonight I would be tough dad and tell him I wasn't going to put up with the screaming anymore. I didn't end up doing that, though. I've never been a tough guy. Denise was always the tough guy, but she's being tough on Abraham up in heaven somewhere, and I'm down here sitting on my kid's wet bedsheets. Anyway, I I burst into his room, and I put my arms around him, kissed his sweaty head, and told him that everything would be okay. I asked him which nightmare had woken him up this time. Usually, they're nightmares about his mom coming back, which breaks my heart to hear, but the therapist says I have to listen. So I braced myself and tried to be ready to hear him talk about how Denise's face is melting off in his subconscious. Only this time, he shook his head. Not a nightmare. A monster. I'm a bad father because I was relieved. That's how you know you're a bad father. Your kid is trembling and terrified, but you breathe a sigh of relief because it's only his worst fear and not yours. The thing is, I thought I knew how to handle the monster situation. From experience. For six months or so before Denise died, Jack had this thing about a monster in his closet. The therapist said that he was processing her sickness through a proxy, that he couldn't quite understand what was coming, that he couldn't know what terminal meant, so his little boy brain just decided there's scary shit on the way and invented a monster that was always getting ready to eat him. That's how I felt for the entire time she was dying. And sure enough, once she died, he stopped having the thing about the monster. So I did what I had done every other time Jack had woken up screaming about the monster. I checked the closet. That's what you do, right? Your kid says, oh God, there's something scary. And you say, I'll look at it for you. And then you look and there's nothing there. And you tell the kid that there's nothing there and everyone goes back to bed. Except that's not what happened. Look, there's never been a monster in there before. I can deal with a lot of stuff. I'm a bedtime champion and a dang master at after-school talks about feelings. I can reshingle a roof, and I'm even okay at plumbing if the water's shut off right. I can handle myself, is what I'm saying. But a monster? I had no game plan for there actually being a monster. My game plan was oriented towards getting the kid back to sleep. It's a 15-minute plan at the most. The point is, who prepares for the eventuality that a six-year-old is right about something at two in the morning? Not me, I guess. So I told Jacko I would look in the closet, and I did. I opened the closet door, and then I shut it again very quickly. Because guess what? There was a monster in there. You'll want to know what the monster looked like. (laughs) I was too busy clenching to retain details, but here was my general impression. Teeth, claws, tentacles. 
I didn't know that tentacles could have claws, but apparently the limits of my imagination do not encompass the fullness of God's creation, so what do you want? Also, eyes. So many eyes, like a spider with lots of little spiders on top of it. All of them were looking at me. It was without a doubt the scariest thing I've ever seen in my ever-loving life, and I've seen a doctor's face when he's about to say the phrase, six months left, so I know from scary. I opened the closet door again. The monster made a noise like a percolating coffee maker. I shut the door. And now I'm sitting on my son's bed, not minding the piss smell so much, and trying to figure out how to tell him that the monster in the closet is real. It's not fair to Jack, is the thing. It's not fair that he's already had to find out that moms can die and dads can't stop it. Now, monsters? In his closet? And I can't spin this as, maybe it's a nice monster, because it's a monster. And monsters are, by definition, not nice. And something with that many eyes eats little boys. It's just a fact. He's looking at me and his little pink lip is quivering and he's shaking like he runs on batteries. But he's setting his jaw like his mom used to. He's being brave. He rubs the back of his head, floofing out his duckling hair, and I realize that it's a motion he's learned from me. I do that all the time. I'm doing it right now. Well, buddy, what are we going to do about that thing? He shrugs in that little kid way. When a teenager shrugs, it means, I don't give a crap. What do you know? Leave me alone. I'll never get old. I'll always like this kind of music. When a little kid shrugs... It's so honest. A little kid shrug just means, I got no goddamn idea, Pops. I love the hell out of him when he shrugs at me. When did the monster come out? The kiddo looks at me like I'm an idiot. When I let my feet stick out from under the covers. Of course. His feet are well and fully tucked in now. I lift the corner of one of the blankets just an inch, and sure enough, the doorknob on the closet starts turning. I put the cover of the blanket back down fast, and the door stays shut. <clears throat> well, we can't have it coming out of there. He agrees with me, nodding gravely. Because, kiddo, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm like 110% certain that it'll eat us. He nods again. Duh, Dad. Kid already knows this stuff. I don't need to tell him. He doesn't look so scared anymore, and I realize that it's because I'm here. His work is done. He called in the big guns, and now the situation in the closet will be resolved by someone who knows what to do about situations in closets. He thinks I can fix it. He thinks I can fix anything. Even after I couldn't fix the one thing that mattered most, he still thinks I know all the answers. We sit on the bed, talking over our options. We couldn't nail the door shut, but then he wouldn't be able to get to any of his shoes or his pants, and he needs those for school on Monday and all. Plus, the monster can probably dissolve nails with acid or something. From our combined understanding of monsters, it's probably allergic to something dumb like mustard or broccoli or Spider-Man band-aids, but we don't have time to experiment. I don't have a gun because I live in a house with a six-year-old. I'm proud to say that the idea of a gun doesn't even occur to him until I mention it. What a guy. We sit in his rocket ship bed trying to figure out what to do about the monster. He doesn't want to kill it because he's six and he's the best person in the world. I want more than anything to kill it, but I'm pretty aware of my own limitations and frankly, I don't think I could take that thing on. I take Jack out for ice cream if there's a spider in the kitchen, okay? Denise was always the one who dealt with those and I never saw her take out a spider the size of my kid's closet. 
this thing, it's big and it's a monster. And didn't I tell you about the tentacles already? After a long time spent discussing the merits of just burning the house down, and let me tell you, spend an hour trying to explain fire insurance to a six-year-old and you'll feel eager to face a monster. We notice that it's getting light out. When it's definitely morning, birds are chirping, sun is shining, the whole megilla, we decide to see if the monster is still there. Maybe it's only there at night, you know? My son lifts up a corner of the bedsheets. Nothing happens. He pushes the bedsheets down until they're just covering his feet to the ankles. Nothing happens. He takes a deep breath, my brave boy, and whips his feet out from under the covers like he's the fastest gun in the West winning a shootout. We watch the closet door, eyes wide, hearts pounding. Nothing. He looks at me and I look at him and we both know that one of us has to look in the closet. He whispers, Maybe it's sleeping. Maybe it's nocturnal. I squint at him. When did you learn nocturnal? He rolls his eyes and I realize that someday this kid is going to be a teenager. And I look at the closet door, hoping the monster will come out and eat us both before that happens. Okay. Okay, buddy. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go shut yourself in daddy's bedroom, okay? You're going to lock the door. I'm not supposed to lock the door. I know, but just this once, you're going to lock the door and... But I'm not supposed to lock the door because... I rest a hand on his head and deploy the dad stare, which is basically the only weapon in my arsenal. He's polite enough to pretend it's intimidating. You're going to lock the door, and then I'll take a look and see if the monster is sleeping, and then we'll figure out what to do, alright? He nods. His eyes are huge, but his jaw is still set in that Denise kind of way. I put my arms around him and I hug him. I hug my son so tight that I'm sure I'm hurting him. But he hugs me back anyway because he's the best damn kid there ever was. If anything happens to me, you take my cell phone from my nightstand and you call Grandma Irene, okay? His answer is muffled because I'm jamming his face into my chest. I pull back to let him breathe. His face looks like he has a lot of objections to this plan, but he just says, I love you, Dad and I don't know if I can keep it together much longer, so I push him out the door. I sit on his rocket bed and listen to his little feet pad down the hallway. I hear him go into my room with the one empty nightstand, and I hear him close the door, and God bless his six-year-old heart, I hear him turn the lock. I don't want to waste any time, because my son is probably terrified in there. He's scared and alone and wondering if his dad is about to get eaten by a monster. I have to open the closet door. I can't just sit here and wait. It'll be the same thing in there no matter when I do it. I have to get up and walk across the room and open the door to my boy's closet. I wish Denise was here. I always wish she was here. That hasn't stopped. Not once since she died, but right now I really, really wish she was here because she would be the one to look in the closet. She would get right up, march on over, yank the closet door open. She would grab the monster by one of those frilly things around its primary eyeballs and she'd drag it out into the front yard and make it feel ashamed of itself. But I'm not Denise, and I'm just sitting on the rocket bed with my head in my hands because I can't take on a monster. It's too hard, and it's not fair, and I don't know how. I'm not her. Looking in the closet to confirm there's no monster is right in my wheelhouse, but dealing with the monster when it's real? That's Denise stuff. Something tickles between my ears. Denise stuff. This is a Denise job. 
The tickle fades, but then it returns again, brighter. Denise stuff. Denise stuff. Why does this feel so important? And then I remember. I was six. My ma came into my bedroom because I was screaming at the top of my lungs. She looked in my closet, and then she said, Oh, no, sir, this is Reggie stuff. And then my pop came in, and he looked in my closet, and then he sent me out of my own room. I remember I sat in my parents' bedroom with my ma. We shut the door and put a chair in front of it, and then she taught me how to play poker for a few hours. Of course. Of course it was him. I run down the hall to my bedroom. The door is shut. Locked, of course. Damn it, Jack locked it because I told him to. I'm about to pound on the door, about to yell to him to let me in, but then I think better of it. I tap on the door with the pad on my index finger. Hey, buddy, can you let me in? It's your dad. There's a long pause, so I almost tap again before he answers. I can barely hear him. How do I know you're not the monster? Oh, Jesus, how do I answer that one? Kiddo, it's really me. I, um, how would you know if I was the monster? After a long pause, the sound of the lock clicking open. He eases the door open a crack, peeks out at me with one eyeball. I kneel down to look through the crack at him. Buddy, it's me, I promise. But if you're scared, you can just grab my phone from my nightstand and slide it through to me, okay? I have to make a really important phone call. The door shuts, locks again. Smart kid. A minute later, my phone slides under the door. Thanks, Jacko. I promise I'm not mad at you for not letting me in, okay? No response. I tap on the door with my pinky finger, soft as I can, wishing I could rest my hand on his fine blonde hair, wishing I could give my frightened little boy a hug. I mean it. I'm not mad at you. You're a smart guy. You did the right thing. I love you. There's a sniffle from the other side of the door. I love you too, Dad. There's a sniffle from my side of the door. I wipe my eyes on the sleeve of my t-shirt and head back to the room before he can hear me crying, because what's scarier to a six-year-old boy than hearing his dad cry? I make the phone call, and after that, it's only ten minutes or so before Grandma Irene arrives. I'm not supposed to call her Grandma Irene. I'm supposed to call her Irene or Mrs. Hart if she's mad at me about something. But to Jack, she's Grandma Irene, so it's in my head now. You know how that goes. She's the only grandparent the kid has, what with my mom and pop being dead and Denise's dad having run off way back when. Jack loves her. So what's this big emergency? I don't know how to tell her, so I just point upstairs. We go into Jack's room. Her eyes fall on the empty rocket bed. Where's Jack? Is he all right? Her face is white and she's gripping my arm with such incredible strength that I know I was right to call her. Jack's fine, Irene. He's in my room. I, I need your help. She searches my face, and just like that, she knows. Her head swivels until she's looking at the closet door. She definitely knows. But she asks me anyway. Why did you call me? I clear my throat. I'm embarrassed. Wouldn't you be? Calling Grandma to come help out? Admitting that since your wife died, there are some things you just don't know how to do? Some things you just aren't ready to take on yet because you can't accept that she's not there to help with them anymore. So, <clears throat> there's a monster. What? Speak up. I can't hear you. 
I clear my throat again. I try to make eye contact with her, but I can't. So I settle on looking at her chin. There's a monster in the closet. She ducks her head to look in my eyes, and the way she does it is so Denise that I well up. She nods. What kind of monster? I'm at a loss. What kind? How should I know? Um, tentacles? Teeth? Claws? Eyes? Frilly things? I wiggle my fingers around my temples like that'll clear up the meaning of frilly things. Irene looks at the closet, and it looks like she's doing math in her head. She nods again. That's Irene's stuff, all right. Take Jack to the park and play catch. Don't just look at me with your mouth open, Donovan. Do as I say. Go to the park with him and play catch and then come back. She calls me Donovan instead of Donnie, and that's how I know she means business. And I want to take Jack to the park, but even this I can't do on my own. He won't come out of my room. He wants me to prove I'm not the monster, and I I really don't know how to do that. She stares at me for a long moment, then smiles. He's such a smart boy. She strides down the hall to my bedroom, raps on the door, and calls to Jack. Jack, you come out here right this instant. It's Grandma Irene. I'm taking care of the monster. You and your father are going to play catch in your pajamas. She sounds so much like Denise that I want to curl up on the floor and bite my knees. Her tone is 100% Irene, and I feel a pang of sympathy for what the monster is about to go through. Jack comes out of my bedroom. His eyes are all puffy. Grandma Irene gives him a quick hug and then pushes him towards me. We go to the park and we play catch. Actually, we've never played catch before, so it's kind of weird. Us in our bare feet in the dewy grass. Me teaching my kid how to throw a baseball. He's good at it. I'm good at teaching him. When we get home a few hours later, there are three big garbage bags piled up on the curbside for pickup. I set Jack up in the kitchen with a bagel and some peanut butter, then head upstairs. Irene's jacket is draped across the fin of Jack's rocket ship bed, and the water is running in the hall bathroom. I knock on the door. Irene, is everything okay? She cracks the door and peers out at me, exactly the way Jack did when he wanted me to prove I wasn't the monster. Everything's fine, Donovan. I'm taking a shower. Would you be a dear and throw this out for me? She passes out what remains of her smart pantsuit. It's a wad of pastel shreds held together by green ooze. And would you loan me something to wear? I haven't thrown out any of Denise's clothes yet, and in her side of the dresser I find a set of her pajamas that look like they'll fit Irene. I pull them out, rub a thumb over the penguins on the pajama bottoms. They're surfing. The penguins, not the pajama bottoms. How do I do any of this without her? How do I do it alone? But then, I'm not alone, I guess. I've got Irene, and I've got Jack. And I know that eventually I'll learn to do the Denise stuff when I'm done looking at the empty places where she should be. When the fact that they're empty stops being something I need to stare at in order to understand the contours of my loss. I hear the water in the hall bathroom turn off, and I know Irene will be needing these surfing penguins in a minute. I crack the door open just enough to slide the pajamas through, then close it again as quietly as I can. I walk downstairs, bracing myself for the peanut butter explosion that inevitably awaits me in the breakfast nook. But when I get down there, 
There's no peanut butter explosion. My boy has pulled his chair up to the sink, and he's standing on it so he can reach to wash his own plate. Getting soap everywhere, but still, he's trying to pull his weight. What a guy. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's close things out this week by our 100-character twabble story by forum member Hellcat. Here goes. Trapped in a cupboard with another soul. Lips locking, teeth gnashing. Seven minutes of heaven. Feels more like limbo. One hundred character stories, not counting spaces. We call them Twabbles. We pick one from our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org each week and post it early on our Twitter account, at Drabblecast. Same goes for Drabbles, 100 word stories, which we pick from our forums and run on the show. Try giving it a shot. Anyone can do it. It's fun, it's short, and you might be on next week's show. Follow the Drabblecast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Drabblecast. And with that, we close out our show this week. Remember that Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. That's the whole point. Have fun. If you enjoyed this week's episode and other episodes that the Drabblecast gives you freely, please consider supporting the Drabblecast by going to our website at drabblecast.org and donating. You can donate any amount, and you can also donate for an automated $5 or $10 a month subscription. If you decide to do the latter, an automated $10 a month, you get access to Drabblecast B-Sides, which gives you one extra episode and story a month. Consider it. It helps us out. We appreciate it. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Kirsty Greenwood, did a great job. Kirsty's an illustrator. Having exhibited internationally, she works mainly in the realm of short story fiction for both print and online publications. With growing experience in all aspects of artwork, her passion is for imagery that accompanies literature based in the surreal, gothic, and fairy tales. We appreciate it, Kirsty. Our program this week was brought to you by Bo Kyer, Samantha Henderson, Sandra O'Dell, Zimmerman Bledsoe, Tom Baker, Melissa Harvey, an old mysterious post-it note with the word ovulation scribbled on it, Jen Fisher, Jason Smith, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, this is a Denise job. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
the team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 